Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. We've been cruising through a ton of interviews from the Niagara Fishing and Outdoor Expo, and we still have a handful left from that show, but I wanted to get some fresh voices on the podcast. Today, our guest is Captain Caleb Wiener from Migrator Charters in Winthrop Harbor, Illinois. Caleb is a young captain with a ton of experience, and this was a really fun interview. We get into how he got started with charter fishing, his best setups for salmon trolling on Lake Michigan, and much more. Captain Gerard Urbanozo is co-hosting this episode. Uh, tell us about yourself and your uh, your charter. Um, so um, I am Captain Caleb. I operate Migrator Charters out of North Point Marina in Winter Harbor. I have uh, 36 lures. Um, I've been doing this for about 10 years now between mating and captaining. Actually, Jerry and I both actually worked in the same charter boat yep. under the previous owner for a while. Captain Bob Rosa. So that was... Uh, Kind of what we share there. So when he was talking about getting his downrigger, that actually kind of struck him. Struck him there. I, I remember when I got my first downrigger. How long did it take you to get a downrigger? Actually, it wasn't too bad. No? Okay. No, I would, he was getting a little older at that point. Okay. He was a little more lenient. Yeah. So um, yeah, we start, I start fishing usually about the earliest in the marine. I'm usually starting the last week of March, first week of April. Okay. And I'll fish till the first week of November usually. So before we get going, uh, we got a comment here from Troy. He says if Caleb was by Les Marine, it means he was next door eating. He's always eating. <laughs> Which Troy? Looks like oh, Troy. Yeah. 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 Troy oh, Prochaska, yeah. I'm gonna say. So he must know you. Yeah, he's going to Port Washington guys. Port yeah. Washington guys. <laughs> uh, so so tell us about that. I I, always, I love an origin story. So tell me how you got started doing what you do. Um so I worked kind of in the industry. I worked at Skipper Buds, the, the um, sales service and storage place here. I worked at the West Marine store in town. Um, I actually first made it for Keating first for about a, nah, maybe an eighth of a season. I first made it for him. Okay. And then I ended up switching boats to an, uh, an older captain um, named Lou. And Lou had been doing it for about 20 years. It was his retirement gig. And when I started working for Lou, he was probably about 80 81 when I started for him. So that was a trial by fire. That was like, here's the rods. I don't think, you know, go fishing and I'll drive the boat. No autopilot. He would manually steer the boat the whole time. And it was not, hey, you should put this out. It was, hey, figure it out. You're the first mate. Your job is to land the fish, catch the fish, hook the lines up. And so I worked for him for a season. And then I started working for, Bob Rosa on the migrator as well. Um, when Lou wasn't out, Lou didn't have a lot of trips at that time. He was already getting old. So mm-hmm. I uh, worked for Bob when I wasn't with Lou because Bob was running full time. Mm-hmm. And then if Bob still didn't have a trip, I worked for somebody else. So I know at one one point, one of those years between things get hazy now. Right. I worked on like 17 different charter boats in mm-hmm. one season, just hopping boats wherever I could find work. So yeah. that's kind of where I really definitely learned the most. Cause you know, you, you see how one captain does something. Mm-hmm. And you think, man, that is great. And then you see how somebody else does it, and you're like, mm, not so good. <laughs> so, and that, that's for just running rods, dealing with customers, right. um, just how they keep their boat. I mean, that, that literally goes down to everything. So, I kind of took all that knowledge and did what I kind of liked the most. I like that story. 17 captains in one season. So, you learned a lot. 
Tell me about what makes a good first mate. I mean, I think when you do that, you work for that many captains, you find out what you need to do. So what what makes a great first so, mate? So that's a very loaded question. Yeah, I've been so, asking a lot of those tonight. So there's days where my first mate's just, I have a great first mate right now. His name is Eli. He's really great on the boat. Um, really good with the customers, really great with the rods. But there's days where he'll talk to a customer and start chatting with the group and they are just blocked into what he's talking about. It's something that I could care less about. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm running the rods. <laughs> I'm in the back of the boat. He's sitting there chatting away and that's perfectly fine. For me, yeah. it's all about the experience at the end of the day for these customers. Some customers come out and they could care less if they catch three fish. And some customers are all they care about. Like they want us both focused in. You can tell what they want. And a good first mate, I think, will will see that and think, okay, we need to be, these people are like hardcore into this. Let's make this happen. Some groups, they just like talk to me. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think a great first mate is able to kind of figure out what kind of group you have because every group is so different. Mm -hmm. So having that first mate that can just adjust to every group as necessary is very important. And there's certain times where, um, a first mate is going to be more familiar with what the customers are interested in. We had a first mate a few years ago. He's um, gone on to other things, but he was really big into sports, really big into baseball, especially. And if, if that if that group had anything about baseball they liked, they were locked into him because he knew all the stats and everything. And I'm just like, <laughs> all right, well, I, I guess I'm just a first mate now. And I, you know, go do things. But for me, it's all about the group at the end of the day. So, um, but when it comes down to it, I think a, a, a great first mate can run the deck when you can't. So if it's blowing hard and you're in four to sixes, your autopilot's not holding well, you don't have to worry about it. You know that things are being taken care of. That's, that's what it comes down to at the very end of the day, though, is can they handle the deck when you cannot be there to help? So let's so, talk about that. You went from mating on this boat to running this boat. Mm -hmm. Same boat, same charter, same everything. Yep. What was that transition like going from first mate to captain? Um, I got my license in the middle of the season. It was one of the worst years North Point has seen for fishing. <laughs> uh, about two keys are in it. You get the afternoon charters. Good luck. Mm -hmm. That's That was pretty much from yes. transition. Afternoon charters. I got all the <laughs> afternoon charters when fishing was real easy. And he, he showed me how to drive the boat one time. And he said, whatever you hit, hit it at the speed you want to hit it. <laughs> and, that, and that was pretty much it. So he kind of was kind of trial by fire. But I mean, I was by that time, I was already running, you know, probably like you were. A lot of the decisions for, you know, what gear we were putting in the water was, you know, kind of given we had the freedom to do it. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't it was a huge transition for me. And it was nice because I'd been working for Bob for a few years at that point. So most of the customers I knew and they knew me. So a lot of times they're just like, oh, it's just Caleb today. Yeah. It wasn't like it was a huge transition. Same thing when I bought the company and I took over. It wasn't a huge adjustment for me just because I already knew all the groups. And, it, you know, you, you felt a little bit of extra pressure when you kind of thought about the trip they had last time when the previous owner was there or when Bob was captaining. It was like, oh, we're not doing so good. I hope they don't think it's my fault. <laughs> right. So... When it was just, you know, it's just one of those days of stuff fishing or whatever. So, but if you remember them being out there in a tough day and you're hammering them today, you're the hero. Right, right. Definitely. That's Jerry, do you have anything? 
Yeah, I mean, with, with the first mates, you know, it's basically like, hey, stop showing them pictures of the morning trip. Yeah, I'm not going to get a good tip. How, how was fishing this morning? There's a question you always ask. Oh, how was it this morning? Yeah. We have an afternoon group. It was good. It was all right. It's okay. You know, we, we, you know, we had to work really hard. We were able to put a trip together. It's yeah. ne- it was never time loaded. It was eventually, yes. Joe, he tempered the, the expectations over time. You know, it's like, like don't over, you know, no. show them like the big rack in the morning. I want to name a boat low expectations. <laughs> low expectations. <laughs> so, who are you charting with today? Well, we're charting with low, low expectations. expectations. Yeah, probably a bad, bad move for you know a business perspective. Yeah, yeah. But hey, if you catch five fish, you broke, you you beat it. You know, it's it's a good day. Tough to market low expectations mm-hmm. charters, though. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that a little bit then. Um, morning charter that was your gig for a long time what do you do in those in those situations compared to morning knowing that you're going out there conditions are going to be a little more difficult to start what does that look like and kind of what is the what is the the spread look like compared to what it would look like if you're going out in the morning um because that's what a lot of these people are doing a lot of folks are no they're going to work in the morning they're gonna they're gonna get out there in the afternoon after work and that's when they're gonna go fishing because that's when they can I actually like running a little bit, a lot of times in the afternoon, a little lighter of a spread. Mm-hmm. I like to get the rods that I have in the water dialed in a little heavier, like really work the rods I have out. Um, just because if you have all that stuff in the water and the fish aren't biting, it's, it's so easy to just start changing everything. And all of a sudden, you finally get on a pot of active fish and you have nothing but junk in the water. Mm-hmm. I've talked in a lot of other seminars about this. It's just so easy when fishing is tough to end up with crap in the water. So I like to just concentrate on a handful of rods where I think the fish are, you know, whatever area in the column they're in and work those rods specifically and, and then figure out what they want in that area rather than just changing everything all the time consistently, um, just work those rods. I also, you know, summertime, I'll probably start a little deeper than I did in the morning. I'll see what kind of fishing was at the end of my last trip. I'll usually burn a little extra fuel and go a little farther. Um, that's a, that's a big move, you know. I assume a lot of people just go a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like to fish a little more. If I fish an afternoon and I'm not going to run way offshore, I like to fish right on the edge of our hill. A lot of times, a lot of times, a lot of the boat traffic slides out, mm-hmm. or you know, the, the, the um, recreational guys will go in for the morning, and that hill will be emptier. So a lot of times, I'll actually stop stop short there. And give that a shot because a lot of times you'll get a 10 o'clock 11 o'clock bite in there for a little bit and, it, and for an afternoon it gives you the opportunity to maybe put a couple kings in the boat or just see what else is going on in there with all that other traffic whereas in the morning especially if it's a saturday morning it's hard to a lot of times maneuver in there because not everybody is cordial so let me ask real quick last year i've noticed i've watched you put kings in the boat and all of a sudden you're in 200 feet how do you decide to leave those kings and you you had a lot of those mornings where you put some really nice kings, so and then la- you were gone. Last year we did something a little different. Um, I really wanted to get on the kings, but at the, at, at the same time, I'm trying to put a lot of fish in the boat. So what I was doing actually is mo- almost everybody was just burning straight out deep, but there was a small band of kings on, on the hill, and I was setting up in 50 foot of the water. We put two downriggers, our two wires out, and like a seven color down the middle. We can get between my first mate and I. We can have those rods in the water and. Two minutes, everything's set, mm-hmm. and we can pull it all in a few minutes. Right. And so we were setting up in about 50 foot of water. I'd go on a southeast angle, 
and we troll to about 100 foot of water, which where we are in the lake takes 10 minutes. And if we caught some kings, mm-hmm. awesome. If we didn't, the rods were pulled, we were motoring out deep. And pretty much my, my thought was if I had five bites from 50 mm-hmm. foot of water to 100 feet of water, I would turn on it. And I'd, I'd slide, make one pass back in. If I didn't have five bites, which, you know, that's a short span for yeah. that amount of bites. If I didn't have that, I was pulling my rods. I didn't care if I had just caught a 25-pound king. I wasn't going to wait it out any longer because I knew that even out deep, because I had to run another like four miles after right. that to get out to where the other band of fish was. And I wasn't going to miss that bite early morning bite out deep too. I was trying to double dip. Right. So one morning we went 0 for 3 on four-year-olds and the group was like, oh, we'd love to catch one of those. I'm like, well, dude, sorry. We can stay here, but we're going to be lucky to get one more bite here and we're going to miss four or five fish if we don't leave now. If we don't leave now, we're going to miss out on this early bite and it's going to be good. And so we pulled our rods and we ran out there and, you know, first five rods in the water, we had three fish and things were happening and they're like, oh, we see what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah, I didn't want to miss this. But, you know, we did our best to get you guys that too, trying to double dip. But, you know, that you, you couldn't just set up on, in there and set your whole spread and then troll out because then by the time you got out there, yes, you'd pick at some fish, but you didn't have the action you'd have if you fished yeah. right away out there. So we were leaving a little extra early, fishing real shallow for a short period of time. And I expect to do that again this year. I actually enjoy it because it gives us that chance. I enjoy catching kings. Mm-hmm. And, but I also have to fill the cooler. Right. And, and a lot of times those kings will bite for 30, 40 minutes. And then, and that's a long troll from 60 foot of water to 200. Mm-hmm. I had to pull that one day where I'm pulling lines in. The time caller I left out, it just gets hammered by a king. We get it in. I'm like, they're like, we're still leaving. I'm like, yes, we're still leaving. It's so hard to leave yep. when you just put a king in. I'm like, I promise you, not fully, but we're going to do better out there. From my experience, this is not <laughs> from my experience. experience. Yeah. yeah, it's always scary to leave. Yes. To find fish. yes. It's, 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 like the, it's like breaking the major rule of fishing. Never leave fish to find fish. Mm-hmm. And so. Rob and Phil are behind me. I think they put like four or five fish in the boat and they're angling in, you know, and they're only fishing like two, three hours in the morning. And I had to leave. And they're like, well, your friends are staying. I'm like, we, we got to leave. <laughs> no, I, and I watch you fish with Rob and Phil on his boat and it, they'll text me, you know, and I see them in 45 foot of water, setting the rods and I'm motoring just, I'm not even thinking about stopping, you know, mm. sometimes. And yes, and I know that they're going to, you know, pull a couple really nice fish in, but at the same time, is it, you know, the numbers that I need yeah. to, to, you have to be disciplined, to discipline and know where that big bulk of fish is. And, and we have certain groups that would rather just catch, you know, two, three, four big, big fish. So we'll just fish in there the whole trip. But the majority of the time, I think most of our groups would prefer just to catch the numbers and have the action the whole trip. So, so you talked about pulling basically long lines and you're coming out of there. Uh, you get out into that deep water. What does the spread look like at that point? Um, midsummer, I'm usually running two or three leads or coppers aside, a wire aside, and then depending on the day where I'm fishing in the column, three or four downriggers. I have a four downrigger spread. I actually prefer a three downrigger spread, but my boat does not have the ability to run a three rigger spread just because it has a big storage thing in the back mm-hmm. so i can't run three riggers but um so three down riggers two wires and then depending on the fishing leads coppers i try and run my leads on one side and my coppers on the other side but 
some of the always seem to end up having both on both sides. But mm-hmm. tell me about what, what you're running on the end of those lines. I like running spoons in my leads and coppers. It, okay. I, I, I think because because they're so speed tolerant, and especially when I'm hunting for fish, I will troll faster. Mm-hmm. And I just feel that I have a lot more confidence in my spoons getting bit at you know 2.6, 2.8 knots mm-hmm. than I do any flasher or fly. Um, so I like I like to run, and I've always thought as a letter copper is more of a stealthy presentation. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's it happens a few times a year, but I almost never have a flasher fly in my coppers. If I'm strictly king fishing inside, I will put a, one or two a flasher fly on a copper or lead, but otherwise I'm pretty much all spoons. Down below too? On my leads and coppers. Down and down on your riggers? No. Um riggers, I usually run an SWR. Uh, and then I have a deep rigger that I usually run like a spinning goal or a paddle of some kind way down deep. Mm-hmm. And then depending if there's some cohos around, then maybe I have a steel dodger with a, f- a full fly, like mid-level, you know, 40 to 80 down. If there's not cohos around, then I'll just put another spoon out down there. And then my wires are almost always a flasher fly. Mm-hmm. I just, the way I was taught was always, a, you know, a dipsy is already usually an aggressive presentation. So I always leave a flasher fly on there. If it's a real flat, calm, sunny day, I may switch to a spoon and put, you know, stretch a leader way out and put it out. But I usually like to always leave those. What are your colors? What do you, what do you dig? All of them. <laughs> what day are we fishing? Yeah. Tomorrow. You know, <laughs> where? It's like any cat. I'm trying to fill Jerry with this one I've got, I've got, you know, I stopped him this morning. So I have 5,000 spoons on board. And right. Which ones, you know, give yeah. me a second. My all-time favorite spoon is an RV Moonshine Wonder Bread. Yes. I think it's hands yeah. down probably one of the best mm-hmm. spoons on the market. Um, I like the RV Blue Flounder. That's a really good early morning spoon for me. I really like that one. Um, Flasher Flies. I like the Proking Dragon Slayer. I still really like a regular white hot spot with a bullfrog hobbling behind it. It seems like it's getting a mm-hmm. – it's, it's, it's almost like a thing of the past now. There's so many other things out there. And when I started, that was on every rod yes. walking up and down the dock. And now well, there's so many more spot. things out. Like, I don't think you have you has them in the store anymore. Right. Well, tell us a little about that. You know, you've been around for a while now. You're not an old guy. You've been around for a little while. How has things changed from, from day one when you were mating to now? Like, what are you seeing different out, out on the water that you didn't see back then? Um. There's, there's, you know, people are starting to do a little more different things again, like pump handles are becoming back, you know, the big lead balls, people are running off boards. That's kind of made a big comeback. Mm-hmm. And that's never been a thing since I've started. The only time I ever saw anybody do that was up north okay. in like Sturgeon Bay. Mm-hmm. I first made it on a boat for a while out of there and we did that. And then also like it's become a thing around here again. Um, I still think lead and copper is way better mm-hmm. and you don't have a 12 ounce ball swinging at you in the face and gets to the back of the boat <laughs> probably safer with the lead and copper too um that's been a, a big change the last few days years um there's weighted steel that's you know come out in the last few years and i know some people really like that we have not really i actually bought a reel was going to put weighted steel on it and i never did mm-hmm. and it's still sitting in the cabin of my boat so we just use lead and copper still what about floral? Do you use floral? So I use floral on, on all my spoon. Anything with a spoon on, I run floral, but mm-hmm. I still use mono for all my flies. Okay. How long do leads you usually run? Um, behind like a coho dodger this time of year, I'm about 17 inches. Behind a, a full flasher fly, I'm about 27, depending. So 
when I talk to people and I ask them that question, they usually say 18 inches or 24 inches because that's a foot and a half or two foot. You said 17 inches and 27 inches. Those are odd numbers. What's what's behind that number? That's what I was told to do. It. Well, well, the first name. Some captain told me, "Hey, tie that at that," and that's that's what. What I if it was accidentally eighteen inches? Do you think it would catch less fish than seventeen or more? Um, no, it's just what's instilled in my head. So, yeah. and I told my first mate, "Hey, tie that at that." Right. So, and then my I, when I run like a big paddle, I'm usually about thirty-three to thirty-six. That I really truthfully don't think it matters. I've talked to guys that run it at thirty, and I've talked to guys that run it at like forty-five. So. I've never, no one has ever answered that question with 17 and 27 to me ever. So I, I know what I, I, know what I like. Foot and a half or two foot, or you know, it's always that. So some guys will wrap, you know, three type three lengths of the Dodger or however they do it. So very good. Well, I appreciate you coming out and taking some time you. out to come see us. If somebody wants to go fishing with you or find out more about you, how do they find you? Um, you can call me at 224 234 3704 or you can visit migratorcharters.com. All right. Or Facebook. Or on Facebook. Thank really you. Really appreciate you coming Thanks for having me. Fun to have Thank you. Fun talking to you. Good luck on the water this Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.